0: In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun,
1: fun. to the wonderful Cover is not the best, so i open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again?
0: Inspired. by or other things that you can listen to or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. Disneyland Resort Paris has enchanted visitors for just over three decades now, though it took nearly as long, uh, just as long really for your host to visit the popular European destination. On this episode of Notably Disney, I share my impressions of visiting the resort and of the music that's found within the attractions, shows, lands, etc., alongside returning guests, Matthew Hodge, an author, composer, pianist, and professor, Matt co-led a study abroad trip in London and Paris that I joined in on as a friend of the university. And then after the trip, we set out on our exciting, magical finale, which was visiting Disneyland Resort Paris. Welcome back to the podcast, Matt.
1: Hi, nice to be here. I'm excited to be back on.
0: Hello, and. We had a, a very exciting time in a new and fresh Disney destination. What was it like for you In when we talked about the notion of extending the trip to check out the resort? You had never been there. Certainly I hadn't.
1: Yeah, I was excited. Um, I'd been to Paris uh, a couple of times before, but I'd never been to Disneyland there. And I remember the, the first couple of times I was there. That I would, um, I was feeling the FOMO of like, oh, I'm so close to it, but I can't, I can't go. I'm too busy. Um, so I was really excited that we would uh, get to go and get to experience something. Um, uh, it's rare for you and I to have uh, something to talk about Disney-related that we both haven't uh, experienced before, because we're both very much Disney nerds and have lived a life full of Disney stuff. Um, so it was exciting to to get to go and to get to go with you, and for both of us knowing we're both doing something that we haven't experienced before.
0: Do you remember, uh, as a child or in your younger years, what your earl- what your exposure was to Disneyland Resort Paris? Um, I don't remember
1: hearing much about it as a as a kid. I remember. So I think I told you part of the reason why, which I'm sure we're going to get into when we talk about specifics. Um, uh, so many so many of the things I loved about the, the resorts because for whatever reason, and maybe this is just a stereotype of it or whatnot, I felt like as a teenager and young adult, when I would hear or read about the international Disney parks, Tokyo Disney always came up like, That was the bar, like that was the one people always, at least, like the what I would hear and read. I it always went to that one, I guess, because you know there's a lot of technological advances and really cool vibes and whatnot. And I remember hearing, I think, because you know it's reported that Disney, uh, when it first opened Disneyland Paris, it wasn't, you know, the biggest success of the company's career. Um, and so I think I had in my mind that it was like it was going to be fine and okay and great to see just because it's, you know, I'd never been there before. But I sort of had seeds planted in my head that, you know, it wasn't the best international park, like Tokyo so much better. And the few things I had heard about it over the years was about how it wasn't a huge success in the beginning and how it kind of had to take time to build and find its place um, in the culture over there. Uh, and so I, I went in with such little expectations. I, I hardly knew much about it. Um, I remember even when you and I would have conversations beforehand, I kept getting mixed up, like confused, like, wait, which are, uh, is this the park that has this ride and this land, or is that uh, Japan, or is that China? Like, they all sort of <laughs> went together in my mind because I haven't extensively looked at them a ton. Um, honestly, one of the first times I really... Uh, read a lot about Disneyland Paris was when I wrote my book, um, my first book about Disney and jazz, and uh, there's a section in there I talk about the parks, and there's a a section in that section that I talk about Disneyland Paris, because Paris uh, was also in its own right a a center and hub of jazz music, so I got to write about that, and that was really the first time I, I read that I took effort to read much about Disneyland Paris. It wasn't because I wasn't interested. I guess it was just in my head of, uh, you know, uh, I uh, when when am I going to get to go there? Because this was sort of a last minute thing. You know, this trip was only about a year in the making. Um, so it was about a year, year and a half ago when we started talking about you uh, coming on the university's trip and then us building into it while we're over there at Disneyland, Paris.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think our uh, connections to the park really varied because I I was the type where I remember having these hardcover art books that depicted the park uh, I I have to say park solo because the studio park hadn't opened by then so I had seen these artist renderings Uh, after the trip you and I watched a travel channel special from about 2000 that was initial I think video exposure for me to the park
1: Which I didn't know existed. I'm glad you told me. I had watched the ones about the American parks, but I didn't know they had made ones about the international parks.
0: Yeah. And again, you know, we talked about this the other day, but this was the age before YouTube. So so for for so many of us, our only glimpse of these international parks would have been via books or TV specials, um, you know, maybe newspaper articles, um, I, I had the Disney magazine growing up, and they would have features on some of the attractions and spaces there. So for me, it was very much plugged into my consciousness. But I also had this notion that I'm never going to get over there. At least I'm going to be a lot older, and it, because I wasn't starting to travel internationally until my twenties, and Europe only presented itself as an option for me for the first time five years ago. So consequently. Uh, once, once the the doors had been opened, so to speak, I, I knew that I wanted to get over to Disneyland Paris, and um, that's why I was so thrilled that this opportunity presented itself, as it served as a, a natural extension of the trip and a, a gateway for you and I to um, go to a really cool place. That um, increasingly, I think you had be- become more oriented to. We had talked about and watched the Imagineering story documentary and a lot of the Beyond the Attraction. Uh, specials on disney plus that highlight um attractions that have a presence at disneyland paris so it i think the uh exposure has uh, widened quite a lot for us in recent years with disney plus but also um you know just further further exploration
1: well and i also think i don't know about you i uh, growing up i don't think i really knew anyone that had also visited the Paris resort. So also, I also hadn't really heard people talk about it in real life. I'd only really met, because um, I had met some of your friends in, in the last year since we knew we were going, who had a couple of people that you knew that you had been, and getting to hear about them. So I think that also contributed to, not that I wasn't interested, it just sort of wasn't on my radar, because I didn't even have I never met anyone that talked to me about it. It was like, oh, you got to go. It just wasn't on the radar in my life. Had you met anyone like growing up that had been and talked about the Paris Park?
0: Yeah, I do remember someone in elementary school, I think, who had gone potentially, if I recall correctly. But yeah, even in my you know co- college years, I just didn't have many friends who loved Disney. It wasn't until really I entered the podcasting world and um, had met folks in, in other spaces that I uh, was connected with folks who not only had an appreciation for Disney, but also had that experience of the international park. So, um, yeah, but I can think of, you know, on one hand, really my non-Disney podcasting friends who who have been to Disneyland Paris. Um, so uh, in, in that sense, it really felt like that despite it being perhaps the most visited tourist destination in france or sorry the most visited tourist destination in europe that i didn't have that direct connection um among folks in my space so that was very exciting for me like this felt like uh you know new territory for us to to explore in our disney fandom
1: yeah absolutely
0: well let's talk about our um impressions of the parks uh it's worth noting that matt and i spent uh, two days at the parks. Um, it, the way it operates there is that if you have at least two-day tickets, you can park hop across uh, Disneyland Park and Walt Disney Studios uh, Paris. So you can, um, it's just divided by a little esplanade, very similar to the one in California, very accessible. It's not like Walt Disney World where you have to take a major transportation source to get from one uh, park, major theme park to the to the other. Uh, So we had two full days there. The the prior day um, in the afternoon, evening, we walked around Disney Village, which is a small version of downtown Disney in California and a much, much smaller version of Disney Springs uh, from Walt Disney World. Uh, And basically, it is directly connected. It's very walkable. And uh, adjacent to Disney Village is a lake that uh, is uh, encompassed by several resort hotels, Disneyland Uh, Resort Paris has, I believe, seven uh, hotels. You have um, the main Disneyland Hotel, uh, the um, Hotel New York Art of Marvel, Sequoia Lodge, Newport Bay, um, uh, Hotel Cheyenne, uh, Hotel Santa Fe, and then there's the Davy Crockett uh, Campground as well. Um, And we visited uh, Art of Marvel, uh, Hotel New York, Sequoia Lodge, and Newport Bay. So basically, that was our initial entryway to the resort was walking around those hotels, Disney village, and then the Fantasia gardens area, which is right outside Disneyland park. Matt, what were some of your initial impressions on that evening that we arrived?
1: Oh, um, I mean, I think it was a great way to start it instead of just landing and then going straight to the parks because it really, um, I think it set up the mindset for me of, because one of the things when we talk about the parks that I was just floored by was really understanding the notion like bigger isn't always better, um, and I felt that way about Disney Village, about the resorts, the lake it surrounds. I thought the area was beautiful and extremely fun and charming. Um, the notion of like yes, you can obviously tell it's small and compare it if you're you know if you're used to Disney Springs. Um, but it, I didn't feel like I lost anything. I think I gained some things in the process. I really enjoyed the Disney Village area. I thought it was very, very quaint and charming and just uh, a joy to walk around. And the hotels, I, I really enjoyed. Um, you can definitely... It definitely felt different than all of the resorts that we have at Disney World, where they're. Uh, Uh, very thematic and very large um out of the three hotels we visited i i think you'd probably agree with me that the marvel new york one was the most impressive i think from a thematic standpoint um but i really enjoy uh, i enjoyed it i enjoyed the walk and and we we did it all in one evening, half of a day. We walked all of Disney Village. We went into almost, uh, I think, every single store. Uh, We had multiple treats and fun food. We walked the whole lake. We walked through the outside and inside of the three big resorts that surround it. Um, And I felt like we were able to do it all in the half a day, which I loved. So I, I would definitely recommend doing that. I know when I go back, that's what I would like to do, like spend the first day doing that because it really gets you in the mood and the mindset and you can see the parks. Disney Village is just right outside the park. So it, it also feels connected. It's not like Disney Springs where it feels like kind of a mini city away from the parks. Um, I mean, you feel like you're getting ready to walk into the parks. So it, it gets you in the mindset and the mood of, uh, of charming, intimate magic that the parks then explode with once you enter them.
0: Yeah and everything's very accessible you're talking about how like we could walk from one end of Disney Village to the other in maybe 7-8 minutes like it was it was contained and uh, currently it's undergoing some redevelopment or changing out some of the venues so um, how it may look now is is perhaps different than in a year from now but what I liked about it is that there was still like a taste of the early 90s vibe so like do you remember when we were in the The Disney Gallery store and the Disney store, how they had um, some figures kind of hanging up um, in the Uh kind of in the beams, not unlike the old Disney stores from the early 90s, even in the Sequoia Lodge, which is very much a a smaller version of the Grand Californian or Wilderness Lodge, at least from the lobby standpoint. They had like a little rescue rangers section (laughs) for the kids.
1: Yes, I will say, uh, speaking of characters, I think once we got to Disney Village, it became clear, sort of foreshadowed of, um, you know, the, the Disney character that seems to just dominate Disney, all of Disneyland Paris, which I was not expecting, <laughs> which I think I came back um, and even quiz some of my friends. Like, which Disney character do you think just dominates Disneyland Paris? <laughs> I would have never guessed in a million years. Um, that it was Stitch. (laughs) So uh, walking through Disneyland Village, I think uh, got us in that mindset that we're gonna see a lot of Stitch uh, and we're gonna get offered a lot of Nutella. (laughs) Uh,
0: But ironically, there were no Stitch Nutella treats. That was a missed opportunity.
1: Right, yeah. And no Stitch um, attraction, like what Magic Kingdom had in Florida for a little bit.
0: Um, but yeah a little too long go ahead
1: yeah well yeah (laughs) um but i also liked how there wasn't just one disney store like we first started with the the world of disney store and i thought that was just going to be the big disney hub and everything else was going to be restaurants and other generic stores but there was multiple stores and i think you and i uh the, the store that we ended up buying some souvenirs at I liked that one even better than the World of Disney one. It's just a few doors down. It was more intimate, but it had really interesting, uh, more interesting, uh, unique sort of things, uh,
0: thingamabobs thing
1: <laughs> in there than the, the World of Disney store.
0: Right. So the Disney Gallery store, similar to the old Disney Gallery in, in Disneyland Park and akin to some other um stores that emphasize artwork um it was mostly artwork uh figurines it's
1: figurines yes the figurines were amazing
0: yeah and and they had some uh, art books too which i picked up uh, at to society but it th- that felt very reminiscent of what i remember going into a disney store from the 90s right you would have all the plushes but then there was a really substantive section on related to artwork and those those figures which you know some were smaller but others you know were decent size 200 250 and um it was fun to walk around
1: yeah and and i think too i walked in with, with disney village specifically um, again, I kind of walked and I had been told and read like, oh, it's so small. It's so small. It's so small. Um, a- and then I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, yes, it's not Disney Springs, but it, I didn't think it was tiny. Like I had gotten in my head, OK, we're going to have one Disney store and a McDonald's. Like it was <laughs> I just thought it was going to be the tiny little three corner. Um, and there was plenty to do. There was multiple stores, multiple uh sit down restaurants and fun food cart courts and parts uh, sorry and um different uh, there uh, there was a movie theater uh i found it to be bigger than what i thought it was still small to be charming but it wasn't just something you walk through in 5 minutes either
0: exactly and and that's what i loved about its its ex- as i said accessibility to those resort hotels because Um, We easily handled all of that in evening. And I I just enjoyed the the ambiance. It it felt like that each of the hotels had its own vibe, um, not only in terms of thematically um, inside, but also outside, right? So clearly the Sequoia Lodge has huge pine trees and other, uh, other foliage that would be akin to the American West right around it. So we walked around there. Um, on the other hand, the, the hotel, New York, you know, a very, um, impressive art deco style, but now you have the influence of the Marvel characters. So, um, it, it, it felt similar to if you went on one of the newer, uh, or recently updated Disney cruise line ships where you have the Marvel overlay of, of certain spaces. Um, so, but it, but it was classy. It wasn't, it wasn't totally in your face, um, yeah but all, if,
1: all three were very classy
0: yeah and all of them are very expensive hence why uh, <laughs> well, yeah. we did not stay there we, go ahead
1: <laughs> no yeah no we did not stay there. would you agree with me that I think out of the three ones that we visited which I think are like the major ones because it's the ones that surround the lake outside of Disney Village um my opinion was that the of course you know the names of them I I'm horrible with names the the New England, not Newport a cool Bay. Newport Bay. Newport I, Bay. I think that one was the most beautiful hotel, but I think the Marvel New York one was the most impressive one.
0: Define the not, not,
1: not just because it's Marvel. The the construction itself, even without the Marvel uh overlay, because um, you could still sort of see what it probably looked like before Marvel. Got rethemed to Marvel with just New York. Um, the The building felt very sophisticated, uh, very chic. And then the way they did the Marvel overlay, I did think was very classy and and fun, but not like a, a it didn't feel like a cheap carnival kind of way to do it. It was very sophisticated, very cool, very beautiful artwork, um, um, things that were set out in glass cases and on the wall. Uh, and I, well, my favorite. I loved how because we went down the long hallways. The end of each long hallway had a big. In the Spider-Man section, had like a really cool mural that looked like the hallway ended with like a window with Spider-Man going out. Or you know. I thought the theming was was great. Not just because it was a Marvel theme, but the way they executed the theme, I thought it was well done. But I liked the the nautical hotel. I just thought. Personally, style-wise, that was the most beautiful one to look at.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And I think if you think about it, those three signature hotels, they all capture different um, settings, right? You have the sea, like a seaport, a bay. On the other hand, you have the Sequoia Lodge Wilderness. And then New York City Metropolis. I, I, I love that they are all very complimentary and... uh i can't say i had a favorite among the three but i i definitely appreciated each of them um, i was disappointed though with the lobbies not being impressive for really any of the hotels like none of them had like seven-story lobbies with a grand chandelier or anything yeah. impressive in scale but that's a, a little a little especially
1: especially the wilderness yeah theme one um, I Yeah, I, I that was the only one that I walked in and was pretty disappointed in. I mean, I'm sure it's beautiful, but I in my mind, I was expecting, like, the Wilderness Lodge, and it did feel extremely over, underwhelming. Uh, at one point, even when we walked in, yeah. we were like, is, is this the entrance? Is this the main entrance? Like, it was so underwhelming. I thought the other two at least had beautiful theming. Uh, the Wilderness one, I thought, um, fell uh, the most lacking in underwalking.
0: Yeah, it was lackluster in, in that regard. Yeah. yeah. How about we shift to the, park? walking
1: distance from the parks?
0: That's true. So let's shift to the parks. Um, we have a few different topics, and I want to make sure we're not going too too far into the weeds here. Um, what were your impressions of the parks broadly? And then we can shift to the highlights of our experiences there.
1: Oh, my gosh. I was so impressed. Um, and I'm so happy to get to come back on this. spot. I joked with you, like last time I was on this podcast a couple of months ago, it was just, I was just a, water, uh, a waterfall of negative stuff <laughs> because I was all the stuff I hated about the Hercules thing, which broke my heart. So it feels so great to come on this episode and it's like 95% positive. I was so, I think just because I walked in with, with such little expectations, I was uh, floored with how much I loved it and was impressed by it. I mean, I know we'll get into specifics, but I walked out of there like dying to come back and 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 in my mind, comparing it to the American parks. It was like, good Lord, this park is more beautiful. It has the best shows I've ever seen at Disney Park. It has some of the best versions of all my favorite Disney rides I've ever written. It is gorgeous to look at the structure the organization the flow of it was beautiful like there were so many categories how I would judge Disney parks that this one not only uh, would be equal to the American parks but in a lot of the categories I would say it beats it like I I was so shocked of how impressed I was by it and how beautiful I thought it was I really thought I was going to walk in and do it once and go. Okay, that was cute, you know, because my selfish American thing uh, mindset thing. So Matt, you know, Disney World is so big and massive, you can't even. That's apples and oranges. And uh, yes, it is half the size of Disney World, but I would say it has twice the charm, beauty, um, and the and what it does have, it does so well. Uh, yesterday, I you know my um, one of my. A really good friend, Susan. She called me yesterday on the phone to just talk about the trip. One of the questions she asked was, "Oh, how was Disneyland Paris?" And I said, "Susan, it was so good. I I would I would say it may be my favorite Disney park ever." And she was like, "What? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? You liked it better than the the Disney World, the whole city of Disney Magic?" And I said, "I can't tell you how." Uh, how much my expectations were blown away by this park. And I'm not being dramatic. You were walking through the parks with me. And how many times did I just act like, oh my gosh, this is so much better than I thought it was going to be.
0: Well, and that extended to how I felt, particularly on that first evening when we were walking around the Fantasia Gardens outside of the Disneyland Hotel, which itself is right in front of, Um, Disneyland Park the hotel is being renovated right now because I was just saying to you this is the most stunning entrance um, to a park Um, you could say it's for both parks but it's really closer to the Disneyland Park and it it was just lovely tons of people were taking pictures you almost have these flower beds uh, towering over um, these walkways that ultimately descend into the park um, and that, I think that's in that same spirit, that's how walking around the main Disneyland park felt, is that everything was super ornate, clean, fresh, uh, with vibrant colors. We know from the Travel Channel special that part of that is because of the dreariness the rest of the year. We had fantastic weather, which really aided our enjoyment. Crowds were kind of a, a mixed bag. Our first day was pretty light, second day more so. But in terms of just the sheer beauty of of the main park, the main Disneyland park, I would say it it beats anything in the states in terms of just uh, how lovely everything was to look at. And part of that I think is a reflection of which we talked about extensively: a coherence of theming. There wasn't anything that felt divergent from the land. Whereas you know, if you walk around Tomorrowland and Magic Kingdom, you know you have some of these attractions that perhaps don't fit the best thematically. And, and maybe part of that also extends to the theming on the outside and, and just looking uh, just incongruent, whereas everything here felt like it had a proper place. And you said it was uh, everything smaller. You know, it was interesting. I, I looked up and I can't remember if we talked about it, but actually the, Disney, the Disneyland park itself is... Um, quite big Um, it just doesn't necessarily feel like that based on how perhaps based on the layout based on um, the fact that you're you're enjoying the experiences in between the attractions in terms of just the the gardens and the foliage and the environment so I was
1: yeah that's true
0: I was quite pleased with how much I knew that I would enjoy walking around but I don't think I even had an indication of of how strong that pleasure would be.
1: Well and what I loved about the entrance specifically that you bring up is part of why I thought it was so beautiful and unique was it's it's like levels or not levels there there's there's different sections to it. Like you first come across the beautiful garden area which is gorgeous and it's filled with tons of bright pink and blues which i assume is because of you know the castle of sleepy beauty's castle and pink and blue is sort of a war's color scheme um but the disneyland hotel is so huge and gorgeous and pink that it's almost like a miniature castle and you and when you're entering, you can't see past it. It's so big. So you sort of get its. Own, it's like a secondary icon before you even get to the castle, and that building in itself is just gorgeous. I mean, we took just as many pictures in front of the garden and the the grand the Disneyland hotel as we did the actual castle. That's so, true. so then you have to walk under the hotel, and then when you go through the ho- go under the hotel and then walk out, all of a sudden then it's like opening a or starting a movie you're instantly in main street of the castle and it's a beautiful reveal and then you walk down main street but main street also you and i both observed we don't think it's as big as main street is in Magic kingdom in florida and so the castle doesn't feel you know miles away So it's all these beautiful sections. Like by the time you get to the castle, you've already walked through this gorgeous garden section that's completely all consuming. You've taken in this huge pink structure hotel that in itself is like a miniature Disney castle. Then you've walked under that and then you've
0: gone through- No, the train station too, the train station.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. The train station is a beautiful um, like sculpture uh, sign entrance so that uh, that to me was really awesome like yes of course nothing beats a castle but the disneyland hotel the way they constructed it 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 blinds your view to anything past it so it really does feel like you're walking into a, a new whimsical land that you you get you get a really cool grand reveal going into the park that you don't get in the other parks
0: yeah i would agree with that um and then, so the four main lands here we have Adventure Land, Frontier Land, Fantasy Land, and Discovery Land, which is their version of Tomorrowland. Um, which I like know, that
1: name better, Discovery Land.
0: I, I would too. Um, gosh, I mean, there's so much we could talk about, but were there were there any highlights in terms of your experiences there? Certainly, we'll briefly talk about the Studios Park, but focusing on Disneyland Park. Um, any highlights for you among the oh attractions gosh. the experiences etc
1: I mean so many i love I love them all I enjoyed um the ones that sort of pop out in my head i the ones that would fall into the category of we have this ride in the states but I think Disneyland did it better or or more interesting um Peter Pan I think uh, I, yeah, I think you and I both agree Peter Pan was a much cooler version than what we have in the states there were it was done differently and it it was small ways it wasn't a massively different vibe but the small little details felt different and i remember getting off the ride going that was much better than the the one i'm used to in the states um uh, we both really loved big thunder mountain uh, and we, I, uh, I think we both kind of agreed on the stage. Big Thunder Mountain isn't always like our go-to number one coaster. Um, but in, here in Paris, it was fantastic. That was the ride you and I rode the most. We rode it, I think, three times um, because it was such a cool uh, – and we were supposed to ride it a fourth time. And <laughs> it, got, it was shut down. But it, the layout was so uh, much different and cooler because it's on an island and you go under it um multiple times but big i thought big thunder mountain was amazing and then tower of terror so this disney disneyland paris's tower of terror converted me to something because you know that tower of terror in florida has always been my favorite just ride ever built in the history of amusement parks like i can ride that thing 12 times in a row i think it's phenomenal and i got mad that the concept of what they did in California because California when they built it doesn't have the dark ride section element in the beginning and then it also got overlaid it took away the Tower of Terror to New Guardians of the Galaxy so this one when we first got on it I was disappointed because you had told me how it's not gonna it's gonna have the Tower of Terror theming but it's gonna be the layout of the California one where there's not a dark ride section but you get to go up and down more And so I love that, even though I missed the dark ride section, the up and down, you get to do a lot more because of it. And the Tower of Terror theming was done in a, I thought, a cooler way in this one because it focuses on one of the characters, the little girl. And I thought this one was way creepier and scarier, but you also got more of the fun part. So now I would say Disneyland Paris' Tower of Terror is my favorite ride ever like on planet earth <laughs> that I've experienced because I loved how they kept the theming that I love in Florida, but that you get to go up and down a lot more the way you do in California. And they did the theming that I love even better. So that one I loved. I, I tried to convince you to go on it with me like multiple, like, can we just write it five or six times? We went on over? it three
0: times and clearly Matt's yeah. excitement for this attraction prompted him. It, so to, it prompted you to jump over our focus on Disneyland Park for the moment. Oh, sorry, but that's sorry, fine. Forgot.
1: Sorry, Disneyland Park. Yes,
0: that's fine. Um, we got a little preview. Yeah.
1: sorry. The Space Mountain I think is interesting because there that one's very different. It's Star Wars, and uh, I mean we wrote it multiple times. It definitely uh, flipped our stomachs a lot. Like I was like, we were we were almost going to write it another time. Um, a third time, and I remember us both being like, I don't know if our stomach's going to handle it. I That one, to me, I, I had mixed feelings on because it didn't feel like Space Mountain at all. They call it Space Mountain, or you Hyper know the
0: Space name. Mountain.
1: Highest Space Mountain. But to me, it was Rock and Roller Coaster, but Star Wars. Like, nothing about it felt Space mountain It was Rock and Roller Coaster because it's more of a coaster. It has the over-the-shoulder harness. It goes upside down multiple times. I think I counted three times. Um, It does have a cool launch, but then the launch doesn't actually take you into the coaster. You launch up on the outside so people can see and and go, ooh, like look at it launching, like the Hulk at Universal. But then as soon as you get to the top, then it sort of stops and slows down. So it's sort of like a fake-out launch. Um, It was cool. That one just sort of confused me. I don't know if I would say it's better or worse than the Space Mountains because it felt like not space – mountainy at all it was it was rock and roller coaster you're just calling it space mountain yeah my my least favorite thing was indiana jones you you didn't ride that with me and i got off of it regretting that i wrote it i knew i wanted to ride it just to say i did but man that thing hurt like heck it felt like you were getting punched and beat up
0: well it was over the shoulder harnesses um there was a loop involved in that it's yeah. rougher and it's it's not the attraction in California. It's an, This is an outdoor coaster with light theming of being in a temple, but it, it is not, um, they didn't invest the amount of money in it as they would have one of the other premier attractions.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't the coaster. I mean, it's very, very short. It's a very long line for a very short ride. But it wasn't the coaster itself. It was the cars and the way the cars and furnaces were built. It's so uncomfortable and, and so hard. And there's no cushion And the way because it's a very tight coaster, almost like a wild uh, wild mouse coaster. So it has very sharp hairpins, turns and things. And it really hurts. <laughs> like Space Mountain, uh, at least they tried to make it comfortable, even though your stomach is flipping a lot. But this one, like, man, it just hurt like I won't go back on that I'm glad I did it because I wanted to do it once but I was almost limping out of the car it hurt really bad
0: (laughs) yeah so it sounds like for you the highlights of the park in terms of attractions were Peter Pan's flight and Big Thunder Mountain
1: yeah Pirates I think was great um uh, I'm excited to compare it to Pirates in California Um, because I'm going to experience that in January. So right now I only have it to compare to Florida. Um, But I thought it was very cool. I like that this one had two drops. It was a little longer than the one in Florida. So that was nice. Um, And the last thing I'll say about the rides, I did also enjoy the class. I'm a big classic dark rides person, especially the OG ones. And this was my first time I'd ever gotten to ride Pinocchio because that doesn't exist in Magic Kingdom. That's only in California. And... Um, us Florida OG people whose hearts were broken that Snow White Scary Adventures got ripped out, ripped our heart got ripped out. Um, for them to build the dwarf mine train, this one, uh, um, uh, they have the Snow White Dark Ride. I forget what they call it, but it's more akin to the Snow White Scary Adventures version more than the Enchanted version, the new modernized version that's in California. Um, so I liked uh, the Snow White one. It felt more uh, classic in this part. And then I also loved the, the Hedge Maze, the Alice in Wonderland Hedge Maze. That was a lot cooler than I thought it was going to be. We spent a lot more time in there than I thought we would spend. Um, we actually did get turned around <laughs> multiple times in it. But that was very, very fun, very cool. And that gives you another miniature castle. The Queen of Hearts castle looks very visually vibrant and very fun and whimsical in fantasyland
0: and you get to walk up it too and look at the sight lines of fantasyland from above
1: yes yeah yeah so i think those are my oh and the phantom which i think you and i um that one i'll talk about when we talk about music. but i also like phantom manor i don't think uh, i don't I, i don't think i could say it's better it's just a totally different theme i do think this one is creepier and scarier like there were images and animatronics in it that i found uh, more scary looking than what we have in Magic Kingdom.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I think for me, the attraction highlights entailed certainly Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. It's it felt a bit longer. The notion of uh, immediately, like once you leave the load station, you immediately descend into uh, you know a drop, and then you go under the the lake. Um, and then ascend up on the the island. And you, of course, conclude the journey um, in a similar manner, including some really extensive portions in the dark, which uh, were fun.
1: The best parts.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, The the views were stunning. Phantom Manor was fantastic. We'll talk about that. Pirates, uh, not as long as California, longer than Florida, as you mentioned. Um, But also it kind of flips its head because uh, essentially you start out with the, um, the, the huge ship um, that uh, typically is the culmination or, or midway point of the attraction that's how it starts out and that you kind of uh, dive into to that portion um, I also really enjoyed Adventure Isle which is essentially like a mix of Tom Sawyer Island and the treehouse they have a Swiss family Robinson treehouse there's lots of different trails and caves you can explore they have a skull rock Skull Rock, yeah. Um, There's some charming little uh, unique attractions, if you want to call them. There's a walkthrough of the Aladdin story in Adventureland. Um, uh, Sleeping Beauty's castle, there's a little walkthrough of all the murals. Unfortunately, the dragon, uh, the major uh, animatronic dragon that's in the basement of the castle, so to speak, um, that was closed for renovation. Um, But there, there were... They were all fantasy land was just packed with attractions it's a small world was short and charming oh, and yeah. and super rich uh i loved um like you don't spend much time in any one scene but there's a lot packed in there um, nice representation too among uh, the dolls in wheelchairs now uh, the, everything felt so rich i I I was kind of unsure at first, like, will there be enough attractions to fill our days? Because we knew that we'd spend most of our time in that park and sure was. Matt, I think we need to quickly talk about the studios. We still have to talk about um, our disappointments and the music, but uh, studios park.
1: Uh, Well, first, before we get to studios, let me just ask you a question really fast, because it felt like as we were going through the rides, the one ride that that we both just seemed to sort of like, I don't know what I think about this, was space mountain the star wars one. Yeah. So what what were your thoughts on it? Cuz you were actually the one I think even more than me that wanted to do it one more time. So what what are your cuz that's the one I'm really confused about like I don't know if I liked it or not comparing it to other space mountains. So what do you think about the star wars hyperspace mountain?
0: I I thoroughly uh, enjoyed it. I appreciated the artistry of the building which was the Jules Verne H.G. Wells inspired vibe that's why I was disappointed that it now has that it's had the Star Wars overlay for a while. I was super excited about it and that's why we started our park experience with that. but I also uh as you know, my experience was tainted by the fact that I was afraid I was going to lose my glasses. Um, so like right after the first launch I actually grabbed the glasses and I need my glasses for sight like I cannot see at all without my glasses. I immediately took my glasses off and held them the entire ride. And mind you, it's over the shoulder harness. So I was petrified I was going to even lose my glasses holding them because it was just so intense. So as a result of the second ride, um, I uh, actually I switched them to my other glasses, which were a bit tighter on my face. And thus, I could actually see what was happening. But it was, it was very intense. It was super cool. Um, the projections were okay um, in terms of illustrating the... Uh, the Star Killer and um, some, I think, tie fires. Um, some of the uh, lasers. It was, it was cool, um, but it was, it was super rough. And, and I think that's a, a line that you could extend to many of the attractions that's at the Studios Park as well. Which we don't need to go into all the facets, but this was a park built on the cheap. We know that. Um, it was a, they were contractually obligated. There's very little theming. They've inserted more of that into some of the newer areas, like the Ratatouille uh, courtyard areas, quite exquisite, much like the one in per- uh, Epcot's uh, France Pavilion, um, for which it uh, opened years later there. Um, but there's not as many attractions. Um, there's not as much to do. But what we experienced there, we handled on multiple occasions. You mentioned Tower of Terror. Um, for us, the highlight was Crush's coaster.
1: Yes. Crush, is, I, I, yeah. Crush was incredible. I liked that so much more. I thought I would. Um, yeah. I remember when we got off of it the first time, I think I said, like, Fred, this is this is the best Disney coaster I've ever been, been on. Tower of Terror still is like just my favorite ride in of, you know, history. But as a coaster, Crush, uh, like I think Crush hands down beats any coaster I've experienced at a Disney park. It just, it was thrilling, and, but it was comfortable. It was, it was thrilling in a good way. It didn't make me a little nauseous the way Star Wars did. And it didn't hurt like heck the way Indiana Jones did. And because so much of it is also in the dark, it, 90% of it's in the dark, um, but it doesn't go upside down. But you really do some really interesting spins Uh, i thought it was phenomenal that like i can i can imagine the next time i go to disneyland paris i'm going to want to go to the studios park just to keep bouncing back and forth between Crush and tower terror and just do each of them like four times like those two rides i would probably say are the best disney in my opinion my top two favorite disney rides ever and that's incredible that disneyland paris and that one park has both in a park that i agree as a park is super disappointing studios is like nothing compared to it's next door neighbor but those two rides are absolutely fantastic
0: yeah absolutely um some other attractions we experienced there uh were uh the ratatouille attraction which folks can ride at epcot um the toys the toy soldiers parachute drop which is <laughs> Um, pretty self-explanatory. It was short. It afforded some cool views. It Was it worth the 25 minutes we waited on there? Perhaps not, but we knocked it off. Uh, based on the intensity of so many of the attractions, we opted not to go on the RC racer um, because that does reach high speeds and goes both forward and backward. And my, my stomach was already in knots over all the Tower of Terror and Crush experiences. Um, yeah.
1: And we ended up having to skip just for timing schedule stuff, the Avengers Coaster. But I f- I felt okay with that because that one is, I mean, what I've been told, it's Rock and Roller Coaster. It just has an Avengers overlay. And like I said a few minutes ago, in my mind, Space Mountain wasn't Space Mountain. It was Rock and Roller Coaster. Right. So I kind of felt okay skipping it because it felt like, is this going to be what Space Mountain was, just Avengers theme instead of Star Wars theme?
0: Precisely. Yeah. And... Uh, one new attraction we experienced there, which also opened in California Adventure, was Web Slingers, a Spider-Man adventure, which was uh, a super intense workout. My arms were completely <laughs> worn out after all of that. Uh, essentially, the notion is, is that you're, uh, as opposed to using the blasters for Buzz Lightyear, your, your your arms themselves are blasting spiders um, through the webs uh, that you sling out, self-explanatory Um it was a, a neat, yeah. unique experience, but it's not one that I could see myself repeating all the time.
1: Yeah, I, it was crazy impressive. The technology of it was so impressive and it had a really fun pre-show with, with also really great technology and special effects. Um, I agree, it were, I'm so happy we did it. Very, very impressive with the technology. My arms also like really hurt (laughs) afterwards. I was like, this is a huge workout. Um, I don't feel the need to ride it over and over, um, but very, very cool. Very, very cool, impressive technology being used.
0: Uh, Another unique experience of being in the park is that in their version of Avengers Campus, their PIM kitchen is not a quick service place, but rather a sit down uh, buffet and we uh, we use that to kind of break up our time on our first day and the theming wasn't over the top, but there were some cool uh, nods to shrinking and enlarging food. There's a little interactive, or not even interactive, but there's a video display as you first enter that, that shows like pieces of food uh, like that are I think crawling along by the spider bots or something, and then like that, that there, it goes through this little system, and then it can explode in size or shrink, and then that it also extends to the physical food where they have a giant burger or they have um, you know t- tiny versions of of certain foods as well. It it was cute and and uh, very yeah. smart.
1: It was fun. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some of the food we had a, a huge pretzel and I had a salad. Where you could get like teeny tiny little shrunken eggs, but massive croutons. Um, and the desserts, they had like tiny cute little dessert shooters. And the burger, you could either get like a tiny shrunken slider or a massive piece from like a, a huge sandwich. Um, yeah, definitely fun theming. Um, you know, of course, what you're paying for is the theme and to sit down in air conditioning for. A little bit. Um, it did stink because we were only a party of two for that meal. That we kind of, we basically like got put at a table with another family. That's what it felt like. So it was a little, and we were in the center of the aisle, aisle. <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, it was fun. I don't know if I'd rush to go back. It was, it was uh, normal, common food that you could have anywhere. But what made it fun is the theme and the, the sizing of the foods.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, one of the common negatives I've always heard is that the food stinks at Disneyland Paris. I can't say I was super disappointed with anything other than that it was just hard to find certain types of food, um, which we can talk about with our disappointments. But quality, I felt, yeah. was overall akin to the American parks.
1: Yeah, I thought there was there was good food. And, you know, originally, too, we weren't going to go to Pym Kitchen. We were actually going to – we really wanted to try the Agrabah cafe because that had a a bit more of an interesting flair with food but it's closed for renovation so that's why we went with pen kitchen instead
0: yeah absolutely matt any other highlights you want to share about your time at the resort before we shift into disappointments
1: well the show the entertainment is also phenomenal the the nighttime shows and the show shows yeah so (laughs) Um, let's talk about
0: those let's fold those in. actually let's just fold those in now because we we, have th- I know we both thoroughly enjoyed all three of the the bean shows that we saw. So let's talk about them.
1: Yeah, yeah, those also fall into the category of not only was I impressed, but I think it hands down beats the American versions. Both um, stage shows that we saw the what were they called like Mickey and the Magician and Rhythm of the Pride Lands? Correct. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I would. Both of those shows I think are better than any stage show um, at disney world including festival of the lion king which i know people always go to like in florida for the disney world That that's the stage show to see um but i thought these two stage shows hand down uh, hands down beat beat them um and the nighttime show was incredible and my mind was blown with what they did with drones because for the first the the opening before the, the actual fireworks projection show um that's when they did the drone
0: stuff uh-huh. right disney yeah. light is what they call it
1: yeah that just absolutely blew my mind the stuff they were doing with drones above the castle was incredible i had never seen anything like it i couldn't believe what i was seeing the whole time i was sitting there going how is this working how are they doing this like, I, I, I hope they make a video explaining how they do this. It, it was just, it, it bent my mind. And then the projection show was also super fun and very clever and very cool. Um, and, and again, it's, it, it's unique. It's different than the other ones in America. This one had a Peter, well, it was a Peter Pan theme in the sense of Peter Pan's shadow gets lost and goes on adventures through all the different Disney canon uh, films. But it was really uh, beautiful the way the projections worked. It felt very sophisticated and gorgeous. Um, Like, yeah, I was just blown away. So, again, that kind of fell in the same category as the rides. Like, holy crap, this park has some of the best rides over the American uh, parks. It has the best nighttime show I've ever seen in a Disney park. It has the best stage shows I've ever seen in a Disney park. It has the best floral, beautiful uh visualness i've ever seen that disney park like what in the where has this park been what why are why why am i not hearing people just talk about this park all day long you know that that was my reaction
0: <laughs> yeah well and i had heard really st- strong sentiments about rhythm of the pride lands um because yeah. of it you know b- because of it being a wine king production but also because they've um It's an enclosed theater in the back of Frontierland, ironically enough. But I knew it was a a strong contender of a show because everybody, all all the different vlogs I had watched and and articles I read said, you need to line up 45 minutes in advance to get a decent seat. Sure enough, that was one of the longer lines we waited in because we knew that. And the only way to expedite that is to actually pay a premium for like special reserved seats which we were not going to do for that at least and um it was it was a 30-minute production um it uh t- took some cues from the broadway show from the standpoint of that there were some uh songs featured uh from there like shadowland and uh he lives in you and mm-hmm. what was the uh endless night was that the third one
1: yeah, they did a, an interesting mashup of *Endless Night* and *He Lives in You*. Um, yeah, I th- I, I, yeah, I would say that *Rhythm of the Pride Lands* was better than *Mickey and the Mag- Magician*. I mean, I think *For the Pride Lands* was like the, the right. flagship. So my my two specific things about those shows that I really appreciated and loved was the 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 way that they balanced adapting their own culture, right? Because we're we're not in America, we're in Europe and we're in France and we're in, you know, Europe is such a beautiful melting pot of all these different countries with unique sounds and um, uh, approaches to the arts. What I loved about Mickey and the Magician was the music was very uh, kind of the normal Disney arrangements of songs you would think. But the language wise, every single scene, because it constantly alternated between dialogue and song, every scene, every time they were speaking, there was always someone on stage who was speaking French and someone on stage who was speaking English. And they, But it didn't feel, to me, it didn't feel odd or weird or pushed. And it wasn't like, we're going to say something in French and then we're going to say it again as an English translation. It was just natural conversation. Like you and I would have a conversation, but you're speaking French and I'm speaking English, but we don't bat an eye at it and the conversation flows. I thought that was so beautiful the way they did that. And in Rhythm of the Pride Lands, it was very unique. They really did some interesting arrangements. It wasn't just what we often get at the the American parts, which is like, you're going to hear the song you love and you're going to hear it the way you know it. And it's going to be plucked right out of, you know, the movie soundtrack the way it is. And maybe get tweaked a little bit or changed a little bit. But rhythm of the Pride Lands, it took from the film, it took from the Broadway show, but every single song had a, had a remix, had a remake, had a, a different flavor to it, and it celebrated different things. So like I remember in my head, like Be Prepared, um, they made it more of this interesting French, Parisian jazz sort of number, while uh, Just Can't Wait to Be King was very gospel Broadway. Um, and then they would do the the three songs that they took from the Broadway show. They kind of rearranged them and did mashups of them and did interesting versions of them. And there wasn't one song that I remember sitting there. There wasn't one song that was just by the books, the way it's like the way it, it, you're expecting to hear it. Um, but none of the remixes felt weird. It didn't feel like we're doing this just to you know be different. Um, because there's so much emphasis on visual movement and acrobats and beautiful circus ballet and gymnastics and choreography, so it just matched it. But it was really, it was a really fresh way of doing some of those songs. It was the most interesting versions I had heard of those songs since the Broadway show opened 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I would agree. Rhythms of the Pride Lands was probably the the, the best stage production i've seen in a disney park i i i must admit that i have a uh kind of a soft spot in my heart for aladdin musical spectacular which you never got to see that that was at disneyland for a number of years and or california Adventure in particular and you can see a version of it on disney cruise line um just because i had seen that so many times and it was kind of a uh a counterpoint to a lot of the stage shows at the parks because it was about 50 minutes long. And while this was only 30 minutes, the, the Lion King show, Rhythm of the Pride Lands, it was, it was very concentrated. There's not much dialogue in between. It just jumps from Mufasa's death, which is one of the uh, very quick interludes between songs, right into Hakuna Matata. Like if you thought it was abrupt in the film, well, uh, even more <laughs> so here, but um, yeah. everything was tastefully done. But
1: I think they did a good job with transitioning in between yeah. the
0: moments. and you mentioned the aerial uh, performers; they were really incredible. They they actually incorporated that with Simba and Scar at one point, albeit I think enlisting different actors um, for.
1: Yes, yeah, that was yeah. Their battle, it was really cool. Their battle, it was like a, yes. it, was, it was a dance off in the sky. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly, it was cool. Mickey and the magician. Yeah. It, it felt more standard disney show in terms of the format in terms of a compilation of a bunch of different films but i think what worked for that one in particular was the the use of uh cool technology um and because it's again a fully enclosed theater um they had a lot that they could work with it was mostly in the dark um yeah it felt like
1: an actual stage show it had really beautiful special effects and you know um because i was sitting there going back and thinking about like, you know, the Beauty and the Beast show at Hollywood Studios, which, I mean, don't come from a Beauty and the Beast fans, I love it. But I mean, that show, come on. It's like the Beast transformation happens because a couple of people come out and like hold a basically a blanket up and then spin <laughs> around them. Like, you know, it's so low tech. Yeah, And Mickey and the Magician, I agree. It's, it's super standard of what it's doing show-wise, but the special effects and the costumes and the presentation of it was very... Impressive. It wasn't a, a cheap-looking show at all.
0: Yeah, and then the fireworks show, Disney Dreams. We talked about that being marvelous. Um, and we we're, were wondering we were we're riding some of the attractions leading up to it. and We're like, where is everybody? Like the lines aren't so bad. Well, everybody was on Main Street. It was wall to wall people. Um, yeah, Matt. Let's briefly talk about disappointments um, during our time at the resort. Anything that stands out to you? Um, I. There's only a few things I can think of, but there's also solutions
1: to them. So like, for example, yes, Studio Park is incredibly underwhelming compared to Disneyland Park, but it's not like a Disney World, where you know a lot of people sort of view Animal Kingdom as like a half-day park, not nearly as a lot to do as the other three parks, but you still have to pay for it as an individual day park. I love that Disneyland Paris does the thing of if you buy a ticket, you instantly get to park cops. So really, someone, and they're so close together. I mean, you we, you, and I just constantly went back and forth between. It's almost like the Studios Park, if you just view it as an extension, like it's just a, it's just a, a fifth land that's just a little farther away, um, then it didn't feel underwhelming. So I like that. If it was like Disney World in Florida, where they treated Studio Parks as its own individual park that you had to also pay for a whole you know, $80, $100 ticket to go in that and you had to pay extra if you wanted to get to park hop, then that would be incredibly disappointing. But to me, they solved that issue. Um, now, it'll be interesting as they expand that park because they're adding a frozen section and, you know, 10 years from now, if that park has doubled in size, will they change that and go to, you have to pick one or the other and each one is its own individual park day. And that'll be interesting. But I like that. They they make park hopping easy. Um, and let's see. Like, again, like Disney Village, I vote, like, yeah, it's small, but it's super charming. I didn't mind the size of it. Um, the Crush Coaster is by far the one that you just can, it has the longest lines and it never gets short. Um, and it's because we noticed, like, just the loading of it takes a long time because the cars only hold four people at a time. So I do think for that one, it's hard because it's the best ride, but it's such a long line to have to wait in, and you're forced to pay for the extra fast pass system. Um, the Indiana Jones roller coaster, like, I'm never going to get on that again. Um, uh, very, very hard. Um, the, there, there is a lot of emphasis on Stitch. Uh, which I'm not a Switch person, so. And I remember joking with you. There's a lot of bubbles. We we had a lot of bubbles in our faces walking around because the most popular Tories, I guess, that they're selling are bubble machines. So it was just like there was a lot of bubbles. By the by the the end of the second day, you and I were saying out loud, "I'm done with the bubbles. I'm done with them. Like I keep walking into bubbles." Um, but I think the I guess the most negative con. Well, uh, you know, food that we spent about, it was a 30 minute journey trying to find a dessert that we wanted, because it's hard to find ice cream there. Um, the stuff, the the food places close at kind of random different times and not everything stays open the whole time. And it's a lot of good food options, but it's a lot of sort of the same, like it's a lot of Nutella. Um, so if you're looking for something unique or different, that's not Nutella. Um, for like a dessert or a treat, you kind of you have to make sure you know where you're going. Look up what place with what menu, what time they close, because it was we kept running into things being closed by the time we were ready to get something. Um, but I think the premier access is probably the most controversial thing about the park because it's so different than what we do in our country. It's their version
0: of, of Genie Plus. Yeah,
1: but it, yeah, but you pay one one fee. It's super expensive, but you get all of the rides, all all the major ones, and I think it covers 10, right? And you're guaranteed to get to use it for every single one of those rides between the two parts if you want to. And it is a walk-on. Like every time we used it, we never waited more than like 15 minutes. Like most of the time it was a walk-on and you don't have to play the game like you do at Disney World in Florida, of you know you, you buy it first but then you got to wake up at seven you got to set your alarm then you got to pick this in the two-hour window and you can only have so many at a time and then you got to make sure, like it, it's so stressful uh, i I remember last time i was at disney world you just feel like you're on your phone constantly and you're trying to play this chess game with disney plus plus your or Disney plus the genie plus plus you have to pay additional fees for the big rides but you can only hold you know two for a day there's a lot of rules paris it's more expensive but in my mind it's by the time you add up what you would pay if you go to to magic if you go to magic kingdom for example on the busiest day and you're having to pay for disney for genie plus at the highest part of its fluctuating price plus you pay for both extra individual lightning lanes and you do that per person like that adds up to a lot too and i loved the disneyland paris version by the time we got through the second day in my mind, I I kind of think that would be better in America. It was like, yes, I'm spending more money, but I'm not nearly as stressed out about it. I know exactly what I'm getting for my money because you can buy Genie Plus and still not get to use it on any of the rides you actually wanted to use it on because of what time you logged on. And it lists, you know, 15 rides, but you only actually can use it, you know, a couple of times. Like the, the, the Premier Access way, I love the idea that... Everything is there. You're guaranteed to get to use it on everything you want. And it's not time you, you choose when you go on it. And it really is a walk on. Yeah. Um, and then you also have the option for individual rides. So the second day you and I didn't do Disney premier access, but the package, but we still paid for it a couple of times for individual rides. And for most of the big rides, you also have that option and you get to do that. And that, um, that's different than also how they do it in America.
0: Well, they so, have individual right? lightning lanes in, in the States.
1: But you can only have two at once and they sell out really fast. Right. Like everything about it, Yeah, like going into it before we got there, it was a hard pill to swallow of how expensive it is because it's a much bigger one-time price than what you pay at, in America. But by the time we got through the trip, I liked it much better than the American system. And I don't, I mean, I don't know if I want to say I wish we had it in America, because it is expensive, but I kind of wish that was also an option. Like, yeah. as a separate way, if you want to do it this way, because I think I would pay for it. I will definitely pay for it again when I go back to the city like of Paris.
0: I agree, it was it was very well worth it. Um, some disappointments for me, uh, it was, like I said, hard to find certain foods that I wanted, uh, that the wines were a bit outrageous for um certain experiences like you mentioned there, there were very few uh, disappointments I, I guess maybe that i just didn't have more time there because everything was enveloping including music which by virtue of some time restrictions are on our end we had about seven minutes to talk about um so let's let's talk about the music within the attractions um any any particular spaces that were really strong in terms of the musical score or songs.
1: Um, I thought they did a great job utilizing the film soundtracks. The Pirate Queue um, does a great job of really like uh, blaring and immersing you into the the great Hans Zimmer pirate score. The Avengers can not just the Spider-Man vibe but the, the Avengers campus when we were there is very much the Spider-Man music, the thing's of Spider-Man and they were executing that really well. Um, the music, like we already talked about Rhythm of the Pride Lands, I loved how they did the musical arrangements of that. Um, and I think attraction-wise, the one that stands out to me the most was Santa Manor, because it's a totally different mm-hmm. theme and the story is more focused on on a bride, not the same one from Haunted Mansion, but because it focuses on like her story, the the music has the the classic grim grinning ghosts. And Haunted Mansion music, but it also has original music on top of it. And you hear a lot of this beautiful so- solo soprano doing really beautiful haunting things. And every time they, they're intelligent about it, every time you get to a room where you see the bride, which you see her quite a bit, that music starts to pipe in. And it's this really beautiful, storing, uh, soloistic, melismatic soprano voice that really made it to me made the music sound even more haunting but sophisticated in a beautiful way so that was probably my favorite um, like on a ride that music really stood out to me
0: yeah phantom manor stuck out to me for that reason um including the fact that it it, it and, and we I think we got this vibe with many of the attractions where they felt familiar but also uh reinvented and and that was a perfect illustration of that. And John Debney, who's been on pet podcast before, scored that attraction. And you you hear his uh influence, but but also his ways of interpreting the the classic um, haunted mansion score. Um I I also really enjoy you mentioned the pirates cue, of course um I really love just walking around each of the lands and the background loops that are piped in because not all of them are duplicated from the States. In fact, few are. Um, you know, you talked about the standard film scores that you would hear in the entry closet near Fantasia Gardens and Adventures Campus. But in Frontierland, like a, a really great, you know, Wild West score <laughs> with lots of strings. Um, I, yeah. I loved. I
1: had a really beautiful like banjo ballad playing when we were there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Discovery Land has um kind of a uh, there's the optimism and uh vibrance that's found in the states, but not necessarily um the, the cues in the states where it's like uh interesting versions of of strange things from Buzz Lightyear you're not hearing that, but rather um just this kind of very sophisticated um science fiction yeah. Um, themes that are that are piped in the background. Um, Fantasyland, of course, is a mix of all the the classic stories. Um, I can't remember Adventure Isle, there being background music there, but certainly in the uh, Bazaar area by the Aladdin walkthrough that had a Middle Eastern score, the Indiana Jones area, of course, had those classic scores there.
1: Yeah, and the entrance the we talked about, the beautiful like garden flower entrance with the, the Disneyland Hotel. Um, that had really beautiful like sweeping orc- orchestral arrangements of classic Disney songs. Yeah, I, I think the music matches the tone of the park, which is overall the park feels more sophisticated and beautiful in a very classic, um sophisticated way. I think sophisticated is the best word for it. I I love walking around Disney World, but I don't always walk around going like, this is beautiful sophistication. Disney park, everything from the visuals to what you're seeing and eating and listening to it, it, it just felt so well done and cared for it. it that's, I think that's what it is. It feels like they, the people who run that place really care about your overall experience, not just the rides, but like they really care about when you're just walking down the street, of it, what are you seeing, what are you smelling and hearing and taking in? Like they really care about the environment, even the beautiful sculptures. I told you, like I thought the sculptures were more beautiful there too than what we have uh, at Disney World. Like there's just so much love put into Mm -hmm. the the environment of the park way more than I feel like we get in America. I feel like there's more emphasis on just the vines. The vines have to be incredible disneyland paris it is about i mean you could you could have a magical day in that place and not get on one ride like it's just that beautiful of a place
0: the environment is the attraction the sculptures you're referring to are those 30 spinning steel structures that are uh reflective of different uh disney animated characters so i think they're just there for the 30th celebration that that has extended into uh, the rest of the summer ahead but those were cool certainly the um the the way that the trees are uh, uh crafted I'll say crafted they're not they're not sculptures okay. but the tr- the trees are are cut in in ways to reflect the um, the hill from Sleeping Beauty that the castle is adjacent to so it's that it's that cubist style um, but yeah and and, and, and not- I think the
1: castle is also in its own way more beautiful too than Cinderella's castle the Sleeping Beauty castle is really beautiful. In its architecture and design.
0: Yeah, beautiful, sophisticated. Those are the the words that we have used a lot. Um, I think that's the takeaway from the trip. Um, I, I've i been listening a bit more to the background loops uh, since I've been back uh, in the States because I want to try to take that in more. I've been very eager to uh, re-listen to some of the attraction scores and even watch Crush's Coaster again, even though most of it's in the dark, but there's some dark ride portions. It was a fantastic Absolutely. trip. I mean it was it was only Absolutely. two full days at the parks and a little bit in the village and hotels. but um we're ready to get back
1: I cannot I cannot wait to go back so everyone everyone go I promise you will exceed your expectations. Just watch Lilo and Stitch before you go so you can <laughs> have a new fascination for Stitch, have a craving for a Nutella and skip Indiana Jones and if you do that you'll have a <laughs> you'll, you'll have a wonderful time.
0: there's the takeaway. thanks, Matt.
1: Yeah. Thanks,
0: Brett. And thanks again to Matt Hodge for joining me on Notably Disney. Clearly, we had a very fun time at Disneyland Paris, a destination that I would highly encourage folks to visit if they have the opportunity to go to Europe and specifically France and being in Paris, a, a must-see for sure. I will very much look forward to the next time I get around to going to Disneyland Paris and hope you enjoyed that perspective into what the resort offers and how it uh, really enhances one's passion for everything Disney. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to Notably Disney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney.